it's always one of the most challenging things, I think, when people ask, like, what do you do? And we're so young, too, that it's always, like, it's always someone older asking, like, what do you do? I always feel like a prick when I say, like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. In this episode of Next Play, I'm interviewing my good friend, Casey Adams. You may recognize him from the Rise of the Young podcast. We're going to discuss what inspired him to build a personal brand, work-life balance struggles, NFTs, and his upcoming projects like Media Kids. Casey, welcome. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Thanks so much for being a part of this. The of first episode of Next Play. I'm excited. The goal of this is really to get entrepreneurs, builders in here, people who are working on things for impact, for purpose, and shining a light on them, and um, really trying to get people to aspire to build things that matter for the world and, yeah. and to be entrepreneurs. So I want to start by learning a little bit more about you and going to your past. You, at a young age, being an influencer in today's world, a lot of us are familiar with you, right? Your audience, of course, <laughs> they know about uh, high school Casey, you know, being diagnosed with interspinous ligament damage. Did yep, I say that right? It, at yeah. 15, um, which ended what uh, football at the time. Yep. And uh, you were forced to pivot into entrepreneurship. Um, but I want to go deeper into that. What was high school Casey like before the injury? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And it's so crazy to even think back on that because, you know, that, that injury was a pivoting point in my life. But, you know, I, I come from a small town in Richmond, Virginia. Right. And I, growing up, I always played sports. You know, I played hockey for 10 years and I played lacrosse for six. Then ended up playing football going into high school for about four or five years. And, you know, high school for me, like, I grew up in this community where I, I knew the same people since I was in fifth grade and you know when you go to middle school I still had my same friends and it was a great ecosystem like I, I loved my childhood so much yeah. but in high school um, I really started to notice things because I had two older brothers um, two I love them so much one's 23 one's 26 and I started to notice like what they're doing and the consequences of those actions whether that was partying or their friends doing drugs or whatever it may be and right. it allowed me to really reflect on what I don't want to do so like going into high school even before this injury I really started to be conscious about like my decisions because I was trying to set up my future you know my goal was to maybe go to college and play lacrosse or whatever it may be okay, wow so you were the athlete that was going to go and be an athlete that was like, that was like I wanted to go to U of A potentially play lacrosse and that was like a goal of mine, you know, wow. and I, I think, you know, my talent was great. I, I was, you know, I played midfield and attack, very good in lacrosse. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a goal back then, moving right. into high school and outside of middle school. Right. And, you know, things just took a turn for, for the better, of course. So tell me about you, though, in high school. Were you the popular kid? You were the athlete or were you, yeah. you know, like, what was, what was, uh, what group did you fall into? Yeah, um. I think it was a little bit of like, I had a great friend group and, you know, I, I don't like the term just the popular kids, yeah. but you know, the people that may have stuff going on or there's excitement and there's like that big crowd of friends that yeah. are always doing stuff. Like I was definitely in a great group, especially ninth grade year, yeah. like sophomore year and then the re remainder of high school was completely different. And I say for me, like during seventh, like middle school, seventh, eighth and then ninth grade, first year of high school, like I look at that as like my prime in my childhood like the years wow. that I maximized and really um, like did everything I want to do with friends and activities and just having so much fun yeah um, but yeah I mean I think it was a little bit of like popular but also like I was always in my own lane I, I came up in a family where my dad always taught the the concept of just 
staying focused and focusing on you, not comparing yeah. yourself to others. So I never really fell into this like, I want to be in another group or I want to yeah. go meet that person because it's a cool kids group. Like I, I really was just like, I had my great friends and I think we definitely had our, you know, I like to say our, our cool squad of people yeah. that enjoyed what we did, played sports, ride dirt bikes, four yeah. wheelers. like. That, that was our mentality and it was such a great time for sure. And I think it's important though to talk about, the reason I ask is because there's this mindset that like the entrepreneurs are the people, the outcasts. Like yeah. in school they were either the nerds or they were like not popular or maybe they were, they were like the other end of that spectrum. So yeah. I wanna hear what were your parents like and what were your siblings like? Like what was the household that you grew yeah. up in that, that made you who you are? Yeah, so. Um, my parents, you know, my mom, she's been a, a special ed teacher for the last eight or nine years. And my dad, he's worked at a company, Philip Morris, for the past 25 years. So I grew up in this very, you know, like modest household. And right. the, the biggest thing that I learned from my parents is that like they would just do everything in their power to make myself and my brothers happy, whether that was you know, getting us involved in sports and committing yeah. to that. But, you know, it was definitely hard. Like, the more I mature and grow, I learn about, like, a lot of the hardships that my parents dealt with. You know, like, my mom, she grew up, um, she was actually, like, living in Alaska when she was two, and she moved all over the country because her, my grandfather was in the military. Oh, wow. um, and then he worked at uh, Exxon. And it was one of those lives where she was all over the place. She would go to a new school for a year and then switch and then yeah. switch. And, you know, she ended up meeting my dad in Virginia, and wow. she was living in an apartment, he was living in an apartment, and the rest was history. And, you know, they had my brother when she was probably 24, and they were struggling. Like, they, they struggled a lot with yeah. not only financially, but continuously through my childhood. And, and I never really realized this looking back, you know? Yeah. And, and I always say they, this in interviews. They managed to make you feel like you, you never saw that, oh, right? Absolutely. Like you, yeah, they did the wow. best job at, like, trying to stay calm, handling things externally where we would never have a clue. Wow. But like in reality, like my mom was a babysitter and she, she makes 18 grand a year and she wasn't in the point where like everything she did, like whether that was buying more clothes or yeah. going out to dinner, like it was, a, it was a struggle, you know? Right. And I always tell people like, I didn't fly on a plane until I paid for the ticket myself, you wow. know, when I was 15, 16 years old, like trying to go to an event or whatever. So like the whole concept of traveling and just flying on an airplane was always a foreign concept and I would always ask my parents because I had friends yeah. that were always traveling and with their families and I'm like you know why aren't we traveling why aren't we going yeah. to D Disneyland and I, I still never to this day like been to Disneyland and that was always something that I thought of but you know at the end of the day they were are so loving the most yeah. compassionate and hardworking people but a lot of those hardships I've learned um, like through that process and it, it means a lot to me just to see how much they yeah. put into our childhood growing up. I think a lot of young entrepreneurs face, like a lot, you know, of course, face various challenges when they have, uh, when they start to reach financial and business success, right? Yeah. Um, I was raised being told, I was in a completely different circumstance. I was raised being told that I would never be more successful than my own parents. Wow. And it was interesting because uh, I, I guess most people would take that and they could be really sad about it. But for me, it was a driver of like, okay, I, I want to strive to be more successful than my own parents. <laughs> Um, not just financially, but uh, you know, purpose and and may changing lives. Yep. Um, and so it was it was a big driver for me. Um, and you know, most people have this um, the other driver, which is that everyone is expected to be more successful than their parents. Um, but I want to hear about that, like the the moral weight to do good paired with like social obligation to perform. Um, you know, looking at someone like you who's amassed 
a large audience and, and high degree of success at such a young age and uh, knowing the story of your parents now, you know, like I have to ask, like from a level of success, my perception is that you are now more successful than your parents. Um, what is that like? Like, is there ever tension? Is there ever strife? Or is it, is it, is it greatness? Like they're, they're excited to see that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I, I totally agree. And I, and I think there's levels to like success and how I view yeah. it. You know, like they're completely more successful than me of life and just their journey. Right? right. But maybe financially or opportunity, then I've capitalized on that. And yeah. It, it, it was an interesting dynamic, like the past four or five years, you know, I remember like the first time I, I made more than my mom or my dad in yeah. a year and it was very interesting for me to look at that, right? Like still living at home, I'm 17, 18 years old in high school, running right. my first company and missing 60 days of school, traveling back and forth to LA or wow. New York, doing these interviews. And for me, I, I always, and my mom told me this since day one, like once she really saw me get this entrepreneurial bug, she would always tell me like, stay true to your roots like yeah. like don't change not in a bad way but like don't let outside circumstances change you for the worse and like she was always cautious about like who i was talking to and yeah. what i was doing because I, I always tell people like one of the hardest things for me to do was um selling my parents on letting me travel by myself you know because yeah. they, they grew up still like they're coming into town this Monday. what age was that 16, okay. moving to 17, like they, they never traveled outside of their honeymoon and wow. they've been married for 30 years. So when I started getting these like opportunities continuously to, whether that's come out to LA or, or do this interview or come yeah. to this event, it really started to like get them thinking about yeah. like, wow, like we have two older sons, one's in community college, one's still in high school and one's, you know, the the sophomore in high school, like it was just a foreign yeah. lane to them. Like I, their whole, ex not expectation, but it's like, I grew up, I, you know, I graduated with a 4.0 GPA. I was very like serious about my school. I took AP yeah. classes. Even when I was doing all this stuff, like I was managing my schoolwork and that was always a discipline my parents said. She's like, you know, you're not traveling unless you're, you get a good grade on the test or whatever yeah. it is. And, and I grew up in that type of mentality, yeah. but I know I didn't, I didn't not want to go to college, but I was so passionate about other projects. Yeah. And once they saw that and felt that and through my consistency, they were completely invested and completely in love with me doing yeah. what makes me happy. And like, I have all the love towards them for allowing me yeah. because I think, you know, a lot of friends of mine, like as soon as you veer off and do something different, like you may face adversity and people that are telling you that's not right or why are you doing that? Yeah. And I definitely felt that a little bit, but it was through actions and consistency where they bought in. They bought yeah. in on what I was doing and completely fell in love with it because like it was this yeah. whole new world, right? Yeah. Like, I remember the first time I, I interviewed uh, my friend now, Drama from Young and Reckless, this clothing brand, yeah. and like my mom and I, we grew up sitting on the couch watching Robin Big and Rob Yard Fantasy wow. Factory. Like, this is like my mom's favorite show. And, I remember like one time when I interviewed Drama, like, I FaceTimed my mom when I was with him and it really just made her so happy. And, and same thing with my dad, like he saw that I was very passionate about what I was doing and yeah. you know, for context, like my dad grew up in a very challenging household. He was one of seven kids. His dad died when he was like 14. He, he started working wow. religiously from 13, 14 years old, trying to provide for his siblings and yeah. he's I would say like the only sibling that really moved out of his hometown of Tennessee that has now a, what I deem like highly successful yeah. life in a sense. And 
just seeing that, it makes me more grateful to be able to do what I'm able to do. And I think he notices that and like wanted me to continue that. And, and he's always been super supportive. What was the flip though for you going from being this athlete that was on the trajectory to go to college, become an athlete, to then becoming the entrepreneur, becoming, going into podcasting? Even? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, like growing up, I was always, I'd say a hustler, right? Like yeah. when it snowed in Virginia, I was the one that would knock on doors and shovel driveways okay. or when... If I wanted to make some extra money, I would. I bought a lawnmower and I would mow grass, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I always had this like mentality of like, hey, like nothing's gonna come to me. I have to go get it myself. Yeah. But I, I always, I never really n knew what I wanted to do after high school. And I think a right. lot of young people face this. It's like, what do I want to do? What does my life look yeah. like? And you know, as I was moving into high school, you know, playing sports, like I had zero intention to not go to college, right? right? And it was, you know, you brought it up at the beginning, this whole neck injury. So yeah. it was the first day of hitting practice in football. You know, first day you put on your pads, you put on your helmet, wow. you're going down to the field to get ready for the season, games in a couple weeks. And I'm doing this drill with another guy on the team. It's where you pretty much, you know, as soon as the whistle blows, you go at it, you take the other guy to the ground. Yeah. And I was taking this guy to the ground and he ended up like spinning me in my helmet sort of came off my head a little bit because the chin strap was too loose. Oh. And then I slammed my head on the ground. Wow. And it, the doctor said my helmet guillotined my spine, in a sense. And it wasn't one of those injuries that was like instantaneous, rush to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, but I knew something was wrong. And to your point, I woke up the next day, I go to the doctor because I literally couldn't move my head in, in any direction and get some x-rays. I'm sitting in the room with my mom and the doctor walks in and says, I have some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is you're not paralyzed and you can walk and you're good. The bad news is you have to be in a neck brace for the next six months and you probably can never play football again in your life. Oh wow. Just said it like that, straight Oof. up, which I respect. Yeah. But at the time I was so in denial, you know? I was yeah. like, oh, my neck hurts, but this isn't it. But Looking back, like that was it. That was the last day I was on the field. That was the last time I was able to play football. Yeah. And in that moment, there was a massive pivot, right? And yeah. it, was a, it was a mindset shift of now I had more time. And I say that yeah. because, you know, I'm getting home from school. Instead of going to practice for three hours, yeah. I'm sitting in my room. And that started to compound and I started to get depressed and angry at the world so you did have this moment you did have this anger totally for the world, this like frustration okay yeah and, and that was probably like a good one two three months initially of like i was pissed off i didn't know what i wanted to do i yeah. was getting mad at my parents for no reason yeah and it was me just having this time where i started to change my habits right i started to go on social media more i started to watch more youtube videos okay. and Early on, I started to just come across these different entrepreneurs online, people that I started following, you know, one of them being Ty Lopez or Gary Vaynerchuk, or I could go on and on, Tony Robbins. Yeah. And something just clicked for me. I was like, I like what these guys are saying. You know, they're talking yeah. about the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness, and finding your purpose, and yeah. um, just talking about success, not only financially, but spiritually and emotionally, and in yeah. a family environment. And like, I didn't really grow up with mentors in a sense, like outside of my parents, like guiding me in life. Yeah. I never really had a like career mentor or someone that I would talk to about my longevity and purpose and passions. I was just doing me. So as soon as I had this switch, I just started going down this rabbit hole that we can get into. But it yeah. was that transition of, you know, having that neck injury to three, four, five months down the road of just 
finally finding something that I am attaching with. And I like to tell yeah. people, like, I lost my identity at the time. I, I couldn't play football anymore. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I heavily believe, like, everyone has an identity of themselves. Yeah. And you, you want to relate to things. You want to feel accepted, right? Yeah. Whether that's with sports or with a game or an activity. And for me, I, I feel like I just latched onto this entrepreneurial, uh, like, business bug. Learning yeah. about companies, learning about fundraising, learning about marketing, advertising, Facebook ads, this whole world, yeah. and I became obsessed. You brought up this point of staying true to your roots earlier on, and I want to touch on that a little bit. So everyone changes as we grow up, right? We all like evolve. I thought I was going to spend my entire life working in agriculture. Uh, I used to wow. raise chickens in high school, and yep. I thought that I would go on to work in the agriculture industry, focus on making it more sustainable and all this. Um, and but what ended up happening was I, I raised chickens, I sold the eggs, started writing articles about it, I pitched it to publications, and then one got picked up, it was often in post, and then later on I went to go and make a publication. And it's interesting because I now have nothing to do with agriculture. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder, not as a regret, but like a what if, like did I not stay true to what I wanted to do? Like did I not uh, fulfill that vision that I had as a, as a young person and, and, and did I skip that because I, I got lost along the way, so I'm, I'm curious. Do you ever like? Do you ever have that moment of like? Did younger Casey stay true to his roots? Did younger Casey, uh, would younger Casey still be proud of where he's at today? Yeah, uh, I love that. I mean, I think 100%. I have stayed true to my roots, but I always wonder like, yeah. if that neck injury didn't happen, where would I be? Yeah. If that neck brace, if I didn't have to wear that neck brace, who would I be? What would my story be? Right? right. Because that is what I identify with, right? Like when I tell my story, when I tell how I got to where I am, it's, it's that moment. And I think a lot of people have that moment where either things change or you can reflect on it and it was a pivoting point in your life. Yeah. And I, I do think about that all the time. Like whether I see, if I see a lacrosse game on TV or if, I, if I'm watching sports, I'm like, yeah. wow, like if I was to continue playing football and doing all this stuff that I was passionate about back then, like where would I be? And, I love the unknown answer because yeah. I truthfully have no idea. Right. But I am truthfully, and I say this with pure confidence, like so fulfilled with how things have turned and where my life is today. Not only from a like business and success standpoint, but yeah. I believe like my family and where I come from, everything that I do is completely foreign to them. And, yeah. and I feel as if I have opened them up to a completely new world where uh, whether that's with you know, having that abundance mindset or striving yeah. for more where, you, you know, like both of my... Do you feel like you've brought them along on this journey with you? Like some, like you're, you said your siblings, right? Like yeah. do they also have the same mindset? Have they adopted what you have learned throughout time and they're joining you on this entrepreneurial journey? I, I would say yes, like absolutely. And in their own way, not yeah. to the extent in which I have. Right. Like my older brother, he's, he's a realtor now. And like three years ago, I, I was doing an event out in Seattle it was like this snowboard mastermind. We had a bunch of like high level entrepreneurs fly in and he came out and he got this real estate bug. And that was yeah. his first time coming out to Seattle or coming out to the West Coast. And he fell in love with real estate and now he's been crushing it the past six months. And it was a process of like two, three years. But, and he always, you know, we talk all the time and I always update him with what, I'm, what I have going on. And yeah. he always tells me like, thank you. And, and wow. I think for my older brothers, I always feel like the younger older brother, right? Because yeah. I, I may be more farther along in life or career-wise, but like I still learn so much from them as much as they learn from me, right? right? Like 
My older brother had a kid when he was 21. I have a five-year-old niece and I'm an uncle now. So like I learned so much from that journey and that experience yeah. about where I want to be in the future and what that looks like. But they've definitely followed me along that, that journey. And sometimes I feel like it may be disconnected, right? Like I moved right to Arizona when I was 18, right out of high school. Yeah. And I was living with a bunch of my friends. And I remember like, my parents came out and visited me once out there, but I've lived in like four different um, apartments and houses. And now I live in LA and my yeah. parents are coming this weekend where they haven't really like seen that whole journey and process. Yeah. So uh, sometimes I do feel like there is a massive disconnection and try, trying to keep them up to speed. Yeah. Like, how fast I'm moving or what I'm doing is hard because they just come from a completely different world. Yeah. But they love it and they, they love to see um, like the journey and the process. We'll, we'll talk about NFTs in a minute, but I just it's funny that you say that they, it's hard for them to keep up sometimes because like I feel like I can't even keep up with <laughs> NFTs and crypto and where that's going. Um, but I, I, before we get to that, I wanted to ask, what um, would you have changed anything if you could go back? Like if you could go back and do something differently or would you have gone to college or was there any of those things that you feel that you could have done differently or should have done differently? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I love the way my journey has played out and I yeah. don't regret anything, but I mean, when I think about like if I was to change anything, I always ask myself, and this is something that I'm inspired by one of my buddies. They have this company, super coffee. Like it's three brothers that they all work together on yeah. one company. They have the same visions. And I always think to myself, like, wow, like, could my brothers and I go start a company together? Yeah. Like, why didn't that happen, right? Because like, sometimes I do feel like this lone wolf doing my yeah. things and talking about what I'm doing with them. And I can absolutely bring them opportunities. But right. that is something I'm like, wow, like, when I was living at home in high school, like, how could I have gotten my my brothers involved more, you know? Yeah. Not that I was like being selfish in a sense, but just thinking differently about it. Um, I do think about that a lot. And it, yeah. isn't, it isn't something that I would like to have changed, but, and I still think there's an opportunity there. Yeah. But You're young. I, I think you about that so a lot. Much time. I'm like, wow, like my brothers and I need to yeah. do something together, whether that's a uh, real estate or whatever it may be. Yeah. But, because um, they, they're so passionate about life and the world and want to continue to grow. So that, that is one thing for sure. So I want to talk about like the, the branding point of being an entrepreneur. Um, it's always one of the most challenging things, I think, when people ask, like, what do you do? And we're so young too that it's always like, it's always someone older asking like, what do you do? I always feel like a prick when I say like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. But then when I, it's the other end of it and I explain what I actually do, there's this sense of comparison sometimes people have where they compare their life to your own and they end up feeling like worse about themselves sometimes, but you don't want to ever make people feel. Um, so I want to ask you like, what's the hardest part for you about making it while being young? That's a good question. I mean, I think, and I love that question. Well, yeah, whenever someone asks, what do you do? Like, yeah. you know, everyone has like what they do day to day, the company or the brand. But, you know, if I'm being transparent, like I'm still, I'm figuring out every yeah. single day. And I think I've learned that from many people that I've interviewed as well. Like everyone's figuring it out, you know, yeah. and, and everyone gets to a certain place along their journey in a different way. But I would say like trying to not keep up with your peers. Like, I, I don't like the comparison. I think right. there's a positive way to compare and to emulate and see what someone else is doing. But I do feel as if sometimes you fall into that or I fall into that comparison, right? It's yeah. like, why am I not here? What, 
what are they doing that I'm not? What do they know that yeah. I'm not? And it all comes from a place of like, I want to learn more and, and ambition. Right. But I think that's something that I face, you know, often is like, maybe deep down I say I don't compare myself, but maybe I do. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes like over the last two, three years, I've done so many different things and I'm like, wow, like I've learned so much through the process. Was yeah. I maybe not focused enough because I jumped mm -hmm. to a different couple things or were they all lessons? And I, and I believe that was the case, yeah. but yeah, I, I think as I grow and change, so does my identity. Same thing yeah. that I talked about earlier, right? Like, yeah. I, I think it's definitely the journey and something yeah. that I'm in love with overall. So that journey is really important because like we said, we change consistently, we're growing and changing all the time. But when you have an audience, you're growing and changing in front of the public eye. People are yeah. watching you at all times. So I want to talk about like hate for a minute, right? Yeah. Uh, Gary Vee is famous for this line <laughs> of like, he has empathy for the haters because they must be having it so bad in their own lives if they're going to go and try to pull other people down. Um, I love that mindset and, and knowing how positive you are. Yeah. Um, I want to hear a story from you about an instance of how you dealt with hate. Like the one story that has stayed in your mind that, you know, it's not, it's not keeping you up at night, but it's that like, ah, I will never forget that moment that that happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think sometimes, um, not necessarily hate. I feel like I don't receive a lot of okay. hate on social media. Okay. Um, but I, I do, I've gotten a lot where people reach out to me, right? And they see me interviewing a lot of these great people, you know, the Larry yeah. Kings and Robert Greene and all these people. And sometimes people will come to me and I've gotten a couple of DMs about this and they stick yeah. out to me where it's like, um, the only reason you have these people on your show is they want to leverage your audience or like oh, wow. they don't care about you. They just want to like, you know, build their business and suck the energy from your platform or whatever it is. Huh. And like people hating on like um, my ability to get people on my show and yeah. that I'm maybe leveraging them or whatever it may be. And I, I definitely align with Gary. Like whenever I receive a hateful message, yeah. I try to go out of my way and send them like a thorough video back or a voice message, yeah. um, like addressing what they said. And not wow, being so you not, respond to all of them for sure. Not being aggressive back, but finding coming from a place of understanding yeah. and letting letting them know like my intentions. Because I feel like if you know someone's intentions, even yeah. though there may be misconceptions of what the reality is, yeah. I think understanding someone's intentions and why they do what they do and how they do it is important. And yeah. I think that's definitely something I've noticed. But I wouldn't say it's hate, but maybe people feel as if like oh why does he get to interview these people like maybe podcasters or younger yeah. people that are coming up right but i mean to be truthful i don't receive a lot well, of, of hate messages yeah. on social media at all those people that you do respond to do you find that they respond positively to you like they they like I, it or do they keep fighting they're just trying to get you i would say like 90 percent of people flip okay and they see my point and apologize sometimes wow like truthfully I've had that happen like many times and it's, it's you know if they hit me up again and I'll, yeah. I'll respond and let's say they like the podcast or if they come from a place where I feel like they're angry I'll maybe I'll send them an interview that I did to say hey yeah. man like I know you're coming from a place of anger hate or whatever but in this interview I talked about with this highly skilled person about these things that you may be going through not that I'm trying yeah. to um, say that you are but I always try to provide resources and, and feedback but That's great. at the end of the day like I don't receive that much 
hate on social. So let's talk about that positivity for a moment. So 2020 was, of course, a really challenging year for pretty much everyone on the planet, given COVID, but especially for Americans, because it was an election year and we started to unpack conversations about race again and how we should and can all be doing better. Um, I do my utmost to be as positive as possible, especially on social media. I don't want to ever be that person that's putting out bad energy and negative energy or sadness into the world. But I'm curious if you ever feel or get called out for being out of touch as an influencer. Like, Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do. And I think for like my social media in particular, like the way I've always thought about it is yeah. like, I've always told myself, I never want to be the biggest influencer or someone that's famous. Like my goal on social is to, you know, I, I sort of fall in love with this concept of like, I identify with my podcast and these interviews because yeah. it, it builds my brand. It gets me connected with people and I have an intention there, but I, I do agree, you know, sometimes I'll follow people as well from the reverse yeah. and you're like, wow, their life is perfect and yeah. they have, everything's great. And sometimes I'm like, wow, like, and I, and I truthfully believe, you know, you see all the great things on social media. Like some people that are truly vulnerable will yeah. vent and tell you about the dirty, nasty, like hardships in their life, yeah. which I love and respect. And when yeah. someone does that, like it's, it's amazing, but it is hard for a lot of people to do that because you may feel like you're being judged or you want to keep your private life private. Yeah. So for me, coming from a place of positivity, similar to you, I always try to, you know, whether that's share a quote of my story that I like or yeah. maybe share a book that I'm reading or all my interviews are purpose-driven, impact-driven, education-driven. You know, I try yeah. to keep the conversations about business and life and advice and as someone who's built a business around encouraging young people to take setbacks and to retune those difficulties into um, success and to profits, how do you think young entrepreneurs should approach the challenges we've been facing the last year and in this year to come? Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my podcast is Rise of the Young. And yeah. My whole goal with it is to empower young people and, and bring a lens from someone that is young, right? Yeah. To, and having conversations with these people. and. I would say like whenever I talk to someone young and you know, I'm young, you're young, we're, yeah. we're so young in the grand scheme of things, but my 16 year old self or 15 year old self is a completely different person than who I am today. And like more recently, I spoke to this seventh grade class when my, my cousin actually, his class was doing a project on entrepreneurship and it's yeah. a bunch of 12 and 13 year olds that you know, they follow the Jake and Logan Pauls and they, they, they know about NFTs because they follow them and they're such, they're exposed yeah. to so much information. Yeah. And like when I was even speaking to them or when someone that's my age or younger like, contacts me on social media, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is just you have to surround yourself with great people and yeah. you have to be very careful with the advice you take. There's so much power in today's world with social media. And you hear all the negative things, yeah. and but there's so much positive, and there's so many great people you can meet. And I remember actually, it's a funny story. Like being in school, it was like tenth, eleventh grade year, and when you know I'm already in this lane of entrepreneurship, and right. the teacher or, or the, there's the presentation about like all the negative sides of social media, and it was yeah. like all dictated towards negativity, yeah. and which it's there's definitely a place, and there's a lot of bad people out there, sure. but it was strictly about why you shouldn't use social media as much and why you shouldn't post things and why you shouldn't yeah. connect with people online. And I remember like raising my hand and like coming from a place of optimism and yeah. positivity and telling my story, trying to be this like, reference point. And 
like the teacher ended up agreeing with me and, and having wow. like a sense of like, wow, like, that makes sense. Like this probably isn't the best thing to be preaching yeah. if there's someone that's sitting in here that has done the complete opposite and has traded opportunity. So I love how the teacher ended up agreeing with you because I feel like so many <laughs> teachers would take that and just be like, no, shut up, kid. Like I'm, you know, I'm the one in charge here. Yeah. But let's talk about NFTs. Let's go. So non <laughs> non fungible tokens, as yep, which is the acronym and uh, or the long form for NFTs. Um, they're blowing up, especially in the art market. Um, I was, of course, following along when you did your drop uh, yep. with television on Super Rare. Yep. Right. Um, so let's talk about it. First of all, I'm still a skeptic. Um, <laughs> you know, to me, it's just a modern evolution of sports cards trading. Um, so I, I need the elevator pitch. Like, how do NFTs yeah. become integrated into day-to-day -day life in the way that I feel sports cards haven't? Yeah, I mean, for me, and before we get into this deep subject, yes. I'm no expert and yes, like yes, the yes. guy that knows everything in this space at all. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. But I, I'm super excited about it, and I, I've, I've learned a lot over the last couple of months. But so. you do know a lot, because like it, it, it's funny, because we're like in a year difference in age, yeah. but I feel like I'm old when it comes to <laughs> this. Like I see people on Twitter and everywhere else talking about crypto and NFTs, and I'm so far out of the loop. Like I can't even understand some sentences of this. Like, yeah. So yeah, I yeah just, I mean, it's a new world. NFTs, you said a like non-fungible token, and for people that may not know what that means, like an NFT in a nutshell is if you have a dollar bill, you have a dollar bill and I have a dollar bill and we exchange it, yeah. we both have an equal value and that is a fungible token or something that is fungible. A non-fungible token, NFT, is if you have something and I have something and they're not, you cannot exchange it for an equal value. One is worth more, one is rare, one is exclusive yeah. and, and that's my like, known factor on that. So like Blau, one of the biggest NFT artist, um, he actually has been in this space for like two or three years, and he's actually done this on a small, small scale, where if someone comes to um, an event, right, and sure. there's only a thousand tickets available, and just that's it, you can drop uh, an NFT, let's say on a one of 1,000, mm -hmm. where if, the, if it sells out, that's it, the tickets are sold, and you get sent a proof of ownership of that ticket on the blockchain and okay. then you, you know like a normal event or if you go to a music festival you get the email confirmation either they send you the passes or whatever and like you show that at the gate so in an yeah. event world if there's a one of 1000 nft for an event someone buys it and it sells out in five minutes just like a an actual concert would yeah. you can show that proof of ownership on the blockchain which is you know already a thing on Ticketmaster, and you can just sell yeah. out but it's just a cool concept where you can have that ticket in your wallet, you can showcase it in five, 10 years, right? If you wanna showcase that you went to Coachella in 2018, yeah. you can huh. have that sort of like rookie card mentality, yeah. but you can showcase it proof on the blockchain in your wallet. And that's just okay. one use case and you know, Could these you are turn things. Could you and sell that then though for a different value? Um, I don't know the exact answer to that, but like yeah. for a ticket in a sense, I would assume that you know, if, if it's sold out, yeah. They sold it for a hundred dollars each or whatever, yeah. and someone else wanted to buy it from you. I I, I think you could sell it to somebody yeah. prior to that event, and okay. these are all different things that, that people are trying to figure out, especially with exchanges and platforms yeah. that are listing this art. Should we be pushing young people, like future entrepreneurs, to be focusing on NFTs? I mean, I, I think it's something that isn't going away. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I believe in crypto as an asset. I believe in NFTs as sure. a form of transaction and proof of ownership yeah. so I mean I tell people that ask me questions about the space I say hey like 
this isn't going away. This is just the the infancy of NFTs. Yeah. Um, and people are learning every day, and people are putting a lot of resources. And even, you know, I, I did I put together this NFT drop with this world star brand, mm. and you know the, the COO Danny, he's a good friend of mine, and like their whole business model of like they're a media giant, one of the most right. um, like highest engaged social media brands on Instagram, and they are really focusing on this space from a music perspective like how can artists tap into it not only from an art angle yeah. but from a hey drop an album can you drop a single can you do exclusive content do you yeah. think that there's a way that nfts can be used for impact for good because like traditionally right artists are are a group of people who don't make the most amount of money normally yeah. right like they're always struggling to break and and uh reach audiences do you think nfts can be used for them in a new and more impactful way totally and i think like the artist as in like a digital artist or even a photographer or a painter yeah like it's bringing the most value to that world where you know you hear that term like a struggling artist so right. much and the artist makes the most money after they die right yeah. like that whole concept is real and like one of my buddies justin he's a photographer and this is actually a cool story and i think this is this has so much purpose and impact and it's life-changing in a sense, not only financially, but what's possible. So yeah. this guy, Justin, a good friend of mine, lives in LA. He sort of also got me hip to NFTs and he, the last three years, he's, he's traveled all over the world taking pictures of twins because yeah. this whole story was at birth, he was born with a twin, his twin passed away and wow. he has this like, strong emotional attachment to twins. So he traveled the last three years building up a portfolio of 100 twins. And he was trying to sell this like framed picture of a hundred twins in one set. Yeah. And he's been trying to list it, trying to list it, and you know, not that many people have been interested in galleries or like, yeah, it's not our thing. Yeah. He decided to drop a one of one NFTs for every single piece, so a hundred NFTs, and he told this story in a blog post and on social and like vented about his story and the process to do this and how he was struggling to make it as an artist for the past three to five years, but this is his life's purpose and mission. And within seven days, he sold out. Wow. And it was not just people that wanted to buy the art, but it was real collectors and right. people that believed in the story. And the best part about all of this is with an NFT, since he is the original owner, like the resale market is incredible because an NFT owner can attach a five, 10%, um, I would say commission on resales and retain ownership and receive Compensation, and I know this isn't about the money, but I, I believe yeah. in this a lot because it puts the power back into the artist's hands. Let's talk about podcasts. When I was younger, podcasts were lame. It was something older people would listen to and that I had no interest in, and I think a lot of us didn't really understand back then. But yep. now they've been becoming so much more interesting. They've become so much more integrated into um, our culture and the way we consume content. How do you feel the podcast game has been changing in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, I've had my podcast for three, three and a half years now. It'll be four years in December. So it's like, I'm still super new to this, right? Like, we yeah. see someone like Joe Rogan who's been at it for 12 years. But, you know, podcasting to me really came up on my, on my radar by accident. I read a book by Gary Vaynerchuk, Crushing It. And I remember it was the last chapter. It was all about podcasting. And, you know, the whole book's about social media and the future of it and what he thinks about it. Yeah. And he's always great at predicting things. That's what I've noticed from Gary. And the last chapter, he talked about podcasting, not necessarily as just a form of content, 
but how you can leverage it across your business. And he talked about building relationships, making, creating deal flow from it, and yeah. really making it a platform to have conversations with people that you want to talk with. Because this whole concept yeah. of like taking somebody's time and sitting down for coffee and asking to pick someone's brain, like yeah. there's so much of it out there. And a lot of people can't do it, especially people that are busy like yourself. Right and people that I've interviewed where having a podcast nowadays or when I was reading about it was not only an excuse to have a great conversation yeah. but it's it's a it's a different form of content and I was someone that loved watching long interviews I loved long form movies and you know you go on TikTok or Instagram and it's just a quick scroll quick dopamine rush and I was like I want to create content that's meaningful yeah. that's impactful um, I want to learn something from people that I want to get in touch with and overall, at the time when I started it, I wanted to build my network and meet great people. So it was the end of 2017, I, I was reading that book, and I just decided to go for it. You know, I, I had yeah. no real long-term vision for the podcast. I remember my first yeah. episode, I popped in a pair of my Apple, headphone, uh, Apple headphones, with the ones with the cords, yeah. and I had this little microphone. I didn't have a microphone at the time. And yeah. I recorded my first five-minute episode and was off to the races. And the first person I interviewed was a good friend of mine, Caleb Maddox. And then I interviewed Kieran and my buddy Jeff. Okay. And I was just reaching out to people in my close circle and people yeah. that I knew. I had no intentions of interviewing celebrities or like top CEOs. But as soon as I felt that fire and my passion for conversation, yeah. where every single conversation I would walk away from... Um, smarter, excited, and it, it lit yeah. me up inside. I really set a goal out. I said, hey, I want to interview 60 people in the next 90 days, right? Yeah. So I just set out on this mission to move quick, and that was my goal, you know? And yeah. I think looking back, I wasn't necessarily focused on the most quality, right? This was Zoom interviews and doing it scrappy, Facebook Lives, and I was yeah. just making it happen, but it, it really taught me everything that I know now about podcasting. And, and I think overall, on a different note, like the podcast vertical and industry right. year over year has been doubling, if not tripling, in wow. the last three to four. And there's so many more podcasts coming out there right now where it's now all about quality and distribution. I think more recently I've, I've noticed so many people listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, I think half of like the male adults and, and females as well in the U.S. all listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, don't quote me on that. But <laughs> I, it's just an exciting space yeah. to be in, and it's exciting from a software angle. Like I have a cool project that I've been working on that I want to help the podcast world out with. What's the one piece of advice you'd give then to, like, you know, uh, young person who's going to start a podcast is it quantity just like make podcasts say i'm going to commit to 60 a month or whatever <laughs> 60 in a year yeah. and just make as many as possible or is it to go the quality route and try to you know make a small amount and make them really unique and really special and put them out one at a time yeah i, mean, I think there's so much value in both yeah i, mean, I think the quality route like something that I think about a lot more now like even coming to the set I'm inspired by you and, I, and I, I'm thinking about like what can I do differently well I mean I think yeah. nowadays quality matters more than anything okay. because there's so much noise out there yeah. with podcasts and interviews and all this type of stuff like the thing for me there's been a lot of people that I've interviewed that have been interviewed hundreds of times, right? right. So like, what makes it valuable? What makes it yeah. different? And for me, it may be, oh, I'm young, or maybe I ask different questions and people like that. Yeah. But I think the quality angle is very important and having that like real 
long-term approach to it. Like even me right now, thinking about the next one to five years of my podcast, I have a lot of different ideas of how I can bring more quality to it or have different types of shows for different people. So I think my biggest piece of advice for someone that wants to start a podcast is A, like just start. I have so many people that have come to me for advice and that's probably the most, um, like, the most brought up topic on my social media and the DMs is like people asking me about podcasting and how to book a guest and how to start a show and how I got that guest done and all that type of stuff. And I think the biggest thing is don't overthink it. Have a show idea, come up with a great title and concept and start and figure it out. I remember when, you know, you first talked talked about next play in this show, like you're making it happen and you're doing what it takes to get the ball rolling. Right. And you know, I think everyone probably looks at podcasting or just content creation as possibly a dream job, right? You get to just get on, be yourself, ask questions, talk to great people. But every dream job comes with its nightmare tasks. Yeah. What is the worst thing about podcasting, in your opinion? Ah, that's, that's good. Um, I, well, I think the best part is actually doing it and yeah. the conversation. Yeah. I think the... Not terrifying, but the the work is in the creating, you know, creating the back end content, getting it uploading, right. um, not only putting it out there, but wanting it to do so good, and maybe it doesn't, yeah. right? Like I, I think that's always a thing for a content creator, which is you know you want something to do so well or get picked up by somebody, yeah. and it just doesn't. And yeah. sometimes I'll have interviews that get a hundred views. Sometimes I have something on YouTube to get two hundred thousand, right? And I think it's a balancing and trying to like stay aligned with like not yeah. everything you post is going to get listeners or you know if or or an abundance of listeners yeah. but i would say there's not much, too much downside to me okay. because like, i feel like i would be way more stressed out about podcasting and maybe not like it if it was a must do in my life like for me some weeks i do zero interviews some yeah. weeks like when this nft craze started happening I did like five in a week. I did Monday through Friday an interview a day because there's so many people I want to talk to. And for me, that's what's interesting and fun and keeps it um, like top of mind because I know if I don't feel like interviewing people, which sometimes I don't, I don't want to take a couple hours throughout the week and sit down on Zoom and do an interview. Sometimes I'm not feeling it. And then, like I said, sometimes I'm aggressive and go all in and do five to ten in a week. I love it. Well, I want to hear. So you, I, you have a million things going on, as most <laughs> entrepreneurs do. But like you know, there's you've written the book Rise of the Young, the podcast Rise of the Young. Uh, you have this new NFT you've just put out. What else are you working on? Yeah, I mean the big project right now. Um, my company is called Media Kits. Um, my best friend Kieran, who you know so well, is yes. Um, we came up with this concept, and he's really he sat on the idea for like two years, but not until like eight months ago we really started building out the tech and. Overall, what it is, is MediaKits.com is a real-time data analytics company for musicians, bloggers, influencers, podcasters to create a media kit with real-time data and analytics that, that never gets outdated. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, for anyone who wants to find Casey, where can we find you? Yeah. The best place to follow me is Instagram, just at Casey. And then the podcast is Rise of the Young. You can find it anywhere, you know, yeah. iTunes, Spotify, and all the other places you can find podcasts. And yeah, that's probably the two best places to find me. Thanks so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much, Milan. (laughs)